When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. 6.30 Chad Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins. Weekdays at 6 on 6.30 Chad. Hey, how are you doing tonight? NHL preseason action early in the second period. Canadians lead the Leafs 2-0. Blue Jackets up 1-0 on the Penguins, even though Pittsburgh with a 16-4 advantage in shots on goal. Still to come tonight, the Stars and the Blues, the Kings and the Coyotes, and the Flames will take on the Canucks. The Flames, of course, coming off that 4 nothing. Lost last night at the hands of your Edmonton Oilers. The uh, Oilers completely dominating in that game. And they'll be back at it tomorrow against the Seattle Kraken. Here's what's going on tomorrow. The Elks and the Ottawa Red Blacks coverage will start at 4.30 on Kissing Country 103.9. Face-off show on Ched at 5.30 for the Oilers and the Kraken with the game starting at 7. Busy week here for the Oilers. Five games in seven games overall. Uh, f- uh, five games in seven days overall. Four games in uh, five days starting tomorrow. Obviously, not all the players are going to play in all those games. It sounds like uh, you're going to see a lot more of the big guys tomorrow. Dry Settle McDavid, Nugent Hopkins, uh, nurse players like that, very likely to be in action tomorrow night against the Kraken. As many of you return to Rogers Place for the first time since March 11th, 2020, that game against the Winnipeg Jets, the last one before the pandemic put the season into pause. Monday night football tonight. Not quite underway. Starts in about uh, eight or nine minutes. Eagles taking on the Cowboys, both teams one and one. Sunday night thriller last night between Green Bay and San Francisco. A lot of good games, actually. How about that kick by Justin Tucker of the Ravens to give, uh, give them the uh, the win? I know I was keeping an eye on the uh, Raiders-Dolphins game that uh, went to overtime. Not so much because I was interested, but uh, somebody in the building had... I don't know if they had like their house riding on the game or something like that, but they were very excited with the outcome. Anyway, I'm probably giving away too much information there. Uh, Baseball tonight. uh, The teams are off that were uh, following the Blue Jays, the Red Sox uh, and the Yankees, the Jays out of a uh, wild card position by one game at the moment. Glenn Gullitson is the assistant head coach of your Edmonton Oilers. He's going to join us between 630 and 7 tonight to uh, talk a little bit about the Oilers' power play and some of the storylines going on throughout this preseason. As for the Elks, we'll get the lowdown from Dave Campbell between 7 and 7.30. Taylor Cornelius will be the Elks' starting quarterback tomorrow, even though Trevor Harris is uh, is active as the Elks made the trip out there after David Beard was placed in COVID protocol yesterday. But the game is a go, uh, the rare Tuesday night. This this game was not rescheduled. I had a couple of people assume that this was a game that was rescheduled because of the Elks losing uh, that or having the game rescheduled against Toronto. Oh, this, this Tuesday game was on the schedule all along. They, that game against Toronto later in the year got stuck in on a Tuesday, and that's why the Elks are going to have to play three games in seven days. Anyway, Seattle Kraken coming to town tomorrow night. First time you're ever going to see them in Edmonton. They will make an appearance in the preseason, of course, as well. Now, here's the interesting thing. Dave Tippett, the coach of the Oilers, was working as an advisor for the Seattle Kraken before he joined the Oilers, and he thinks that's going to be a very, very good franchise. 
Well, I've said this all along. It's going to be a fantastic franchise. The leadership there, from ownership to uh, the management, and I know Dave Haxtell well, and uh, so it's it's uh, you know obviously know Ronnie Ronnie Francis well. Um, you know they're just doing everything right there, and that's uh, uh, it'd be good to see people that I you know worked with for a year or so there come in and. Uh, you know, there's going to be an exciting franchise. There's a ton of excitement in, in Seattle for that team. So it's uh, looking forward to getting going. I'm sure they're, I mean, all that preparation. I was there, what, three years ago now. I mean, the preparation that was going then was unbelievable. And now you get to actually see it on the ice. I'm sure there's lots of excitement going around with the organization there. All right, so a little bit there on uh, Dave Tippett coaching against the team. He was uh, a consultant for, obviously, before they ever got onto the ice. So let's talk about some Oilers storylines here. First of all, we obviously had overtime open line last night. Stoffer dove into it a bit on his show today. Dominant performance by the Oilers last night. Of, of course, you know, hey, like we always got to say at this time of year, it's only the preseason. I feel like I should have a little canned... Uh, you know, a little trigger Kellen can hit whenever we talk about anything that happens between now and the start of the regular season. It's only the preseason, but hey, the Oilers uh, won the game. The Flames didn't play well. Uh, the Oilers had some guys looking to, uh, you know, put forward really good performances to show the coaching staffs, uh, the coaching staff what they can do. And they did that. So, hey, you, you put it in the win column for now and uh, and you move on. But the Oilers just really all over the Flames in that game, winning it uh, 4-0. Shots were 49-15. Really good showing from Derek Ryan, so that's some promise there for Edmonton, a really reliable, intelligent player they brought in from the Flames. Brendan Perlini got a goal. He's pushing for a spot on this team, don't forget. And uh, Xavier Borgo, the first-round draft pick, you know, obviously he's a couple, three years away from being in the NHL, but a good showing for him. He got a goal and assist. And James Hamlin, who I enjoyed watching in the rookie games, the Edmonton native who played in the Western Hockey League, uh, spent last year with the Bakersfield Condors on an AHL deal. He's uh, he's a hardworking guy. You know, again, he's going to be uh, on the Condors, but a good story for him as he was able to score on the power play. The goal, or he's able to score on a breakaway, I should say. The goalie split the shutout. It was... Eight saves for Stuart Skinner, seven saves for Ilya Konovalov. Konovalov made a really good save with about five minutes left in the third, probably the best save of the night by an Oilers goaltender. Skinner had a, a couple quick shots coming in on him in the first period that he stopped. Really, they, they weren't hugely tested otherwise, but hey, a puck didn't get by him. A shutout, a shutout, a win, a win. So uh, take it and move on from there to face Seattle tomorrow. Now, also... It was interesting how they lined up at Oilers practice today because there's sort of been a mixture between the established players and the younger players or the players pushing for spots through the first few days of training camp. Well, not today. For the early session, there were only 12 forwards on the ice. Hyman, McDavid, Pugliarvi was a line. Nugent Hopkins, Drysdale, Yamamoto was a line. Ryan Fogel and Cassian was a line. And McLeod, Shore, and Turris was a line. So that's a pretty definite distinction. I mean, that those could be the Oilers' 12 forwards on opening day in a couple of weeks. I mean, there was nobody in this group today where you're saying, okay, that's obviously a minor leaguer or a player who's going back to junior. Now, I, I think, of course, Tyler Benson is pushing for a spot. Perlini uh, in the mix, maybe even Colton Sevier you put in there well as well on a PTO. But uh, pretty interesting that they did that for the early group today. That was, you know, kind of some, uh, well, it was certainly the Oilers' top 10 forwards 
I would say, if you look at the top three lines and then Ryan McLeod, you know, Shore is going to be on the team. He's been playing center. He was on the wing today. Turris, he's one of those we'll see guys like Benson, like Perlini, like Sevier, but uh, a definite distinction there today. As there was with the defense, it was Nurse, Barry Russell, CeCe, Bouchard, Cuckoo, and Lagason. And uh, so Chris Russell practiced with the main group wearing number six. Remember, he switched from number four because Kevin Lowe's number four is going to be retired in November. Um, you know, no Duncan Keith for another few days until he can get out of quarantine and, and join the team for practicing. So Lagason was in there as the seventh defenseman and the two goalies were Smith and Koskinen. So they pretty much divided them up that way today. And uh, they were working on the power play since they had all the big guys uh, out there at one time. And I'm going to revisit something I said last year going into the start of the season, which I guess would have been late December, early January because of the abbreviated campaign. And uh, I actually even wrote an article about it and uh, threw it up on the 630 Ched website. And you know what? You, you may find this hard to believe. Actually, probably not. It's probably perfectly believable. I was wrong. I was wrong. I thought going into last season, that, uh, you know what? The Edmonton Oilers are going to have a 30% power play. I figured, why not? I, I'm going to say they can do it. Everybody's saying they're going to drop off. They were 29.5% in 1920. That remains the fourth best power play season since the league started keeping the stat in 77-78, which as a side note leads me to believe, what were they doing before 77-78? We're, like, we're not talking prehistoric times where they wouldn't have realized that power plays were really important and maybe teams with better power plays often won more games. Uh, but anyway, 77-78, the, uh, the starting number for that stat. And, and I said, you know what? I think they can be right up there. I, I think maybe even they can get to 30. And, and I backed that up with some numbers I looked at historically. And, and I looked at the other power plays that were up there in the top five in history. Now, they are from the late 70s and early 80s, so maybe an era of a little higher scoring, which, which might make the Oilers' achievements even, even more impressive. But here's what the Montreal Canadiens did in uh, three seasons, from 77-78 to 79-80. They went 31.9%, 28.3%, and 29.1%. So I thought to myself, if you have a power play that is in the very high 20s, it's possible to get it over 30, and it's possible to do it for more than one year. That's why I didn't think the 29.5% was going to be a one-off. The Islanders, for five seasons, from 77-78 to 81-82, went 31.4, 31.2. Then they did have a bit of a drop down to 23.4, and then they were back up to 29.3 and 27.8. So again, I expect the Oilers' power play to be 27.5% or higher. I, I will pull back on my prediction of them actually hitting 30%, but they've done it two years in a row. They, they have done it two years in a row. What, 29.5% a couple of seasons ago, 27.6% this past year, and that's even with taking a little bit to get going. They started the year back in January, two for 14 in the first five games, bit of a mini slump at 14%. Uh, and then they still finished at 27.6% for the season. So that's why I think, that's why I think they can do it again. They got the same personnel, except they're adding Hyman, who 
is going to have better hands in front of the net. Alex Chason was there sometimes. I thought Chason was very good at screening the goaltender. Uh, I, I know he did, didn't finish as many chances as, as a lot of you would have liked. I think Hyman's going to help in puck retrieval. I think Pugliarvi will play sometimes. I think Yama will play sometimes. And like last year, it's probably going to be Nurse about a third of the time on the point and uh, bury the other two thirds of the time and probably even some Bouchard factored in as the season goes along. So to me, there's no reason to believe that the Oilers power play is going to go from the high twenties down to, you know, 20%, 22, 18. It's going to be in the high twenties. Again, Uh, I asked Nuge today about some of the guys that are going to factor in there today. And uh, should it be very good again? Yeah. I I mean, we should have confidence, but at the same time, it's, it's, uh, we can't take it for granted. Um, We didn't start out the year last year um, the way we wanted to on the power play, I don't think. And and then we started to figure out as we went along. But um, we know it's a challenge. We know that teams uh, expect us to to produce on it. So they're going to be hard on us. They're going to limit the power plays they give us too. Um, So we have to take advantage of that. And um, it's going to start... I haven't seen the lineup yet, but if we're in tomorrow and uh, get the power play going, I mean, it starts in preseason and try to get the chemistry back. And um, like I said, I mean, Yamel, uh, Jesse jumping in there. A lot of guys can rotate in. And um, good thing about our group is guys can kind of play any spot. So, um, yeah, I mean, we we should have confidence, but uh, we definitely have to, to push and uh, make sure that we uh, just don't take it for granted. Now, here's the thing if you're playing the Edmonton Oilers. First of all, you're telling your players, for the love of Big Bird, don't take a penalty. And then you're pouring over the tape of the Oilers' power play, trying to figure out their tendencies and if you can, you can actually stop it. So I asked Nuge as well, what's the, the contrast between doing what you do best and throwing in maybe some new wrinkles so you're a little harder to scout? Yeah, we know that teams, I mean... Uh, you make different plays on the power play, but uh, generally power plays stay the same. Uh, you, you have the same looks. So, I mean, teams will, will focus on uh, um, our aspects, um, what we do well as a, uh, as a power play group out there. So, I mean, we're going to have to be able to break them down. I think one of the best things that uh, we're good at is when we get uh, second chances and uh, we, we just kind of make plays off broken plays and uh, off shots and we get those second opportunities and uh, make those quick plays and capitalize uh, as quick as we can. Well, they're very good at keeping plays alive and, like you said, uh, making things happen off rebounds, off missed shots, uh, off broken plays, and and that's been one of the many strengths of the Oilers' power play over the last couple of years. My colleague uh, Rob Brown often says the power play doesn't start until the, the, uh, offes- the offensive team takes a shot because he says then there's going to be a rebound, a puck deflected to the corner. The penalty killers have to turn, go get it, find the puck, find their check. It gives the uh, the team with the power play the chance to, you know, get a couple guys on the puck, dig it out, to set up a play off the wall, things like that. So if you're Darnell Nurse and you're playing the point sometimes, are, are you thinking, you know, shot first all the time so you can create that chaos? Or are you thinking, wait a minute, I'm playing with three exceptional passers. I'm going to give the puck to one of them. Whenever I'm up there and have the opportunity to, to play up top on the power play, usually if they're giving it to me in a, in a good spot, uh, uh, they want me to shoot. You know, they're, they're, they're putting me in a position to, to capitalize on a good shoot, shooting opportunity. Like, they're okay with me shooting it. So I think uh, to, to be a threat up there, every team that you play against, they're always going to want to take away the flanks because they know, you know, those are two of the most dangerous players in the, in the NHL. So um, they, they want to take away the flanks. So if you have 
that threat from up top as well. Um, it, it's kind of what opens up even more opportunity for them to, to make those great plays. It's going to be fun. Big strength of the team, obviously, the Oilers' power play. And Glenn Gullitson, the assistant coach for the Oilers, who oversees the power play, is going to join us after the 6.30 news. The Monday nighter is uh, underway. Three minutes in, Cowboys already inside the Philadelphia Five. We'll take a quick timeout. It's Inside Sports on Chet. Ezekiel Elliott with a touchdown plunge. Game's barely three minutes old. Cowboys lead the Eagles 7-0. Monday Night Football will keep you updated on that one. Football in the nation's capital tomorrow for your Edmonton Elks. Trevor Harris activated off the DL, but Taylor Cornelius will start once again at QB for the double E, and he's hoping to build on that first start from a couple of weeks ago. I mean, I think just the biggest thing was just the turnovers. Uh, you know, we're in that game until the end. Uh, if we don't turn the ball over um, that many times throughout the course, and that you know that goes on me uh, as well. Just giving them free points uh, with you know pick sixes and fumbles that are returned for a touchdown uh, uh, can kill a team. All right, now the Elks tough year, especially at home. They're zero and four at home, two and zero on the road. So maybe good. This one's in Ottawa. And uh, one of those losses on home turf to Ottawa in the very first game of the season. That's the Red Blacks' only win all season long. Jamie Elizondo says, yeah, that loss still stings even now. I think everybody walked off that field. And the moment we walked off the field and the, uh, the scoreboard read 0-0, you know, we, we, we knew we, we let one get away. We, we knew we gave one away. And so I think, you know, we're, we're focused on coming back and, and making amends for that uh, disappointing you know, but our focus right now is on, on this next one. Um, they're a good team. It'll be a challenge with the new, you know, quarterbacks. But, uh, yeah, I expect us to play with a little bit of a chip on our shoulder because, again, we let one get away. All right. More on that one a little bit later on. But when we get back, the assistant coach for Edmonton Oilers, Glenn Gullitson, live on Inside Sports. Number 97 has scored. And I am not talking about Connor McDavid. Usually when I'm talking about number 97 scoring, it is indeed the Oilers captain. But here's what happened in the Cowboys-Eagles game while we were in the news. Dak Prescott hit in his own end zone. The ball pops out and it falls right onto the belly of Javon Hargrave, number 97 defensive tackle for the Philadelphia Eagles. And he squeezes it, gets a touchdown. Philly gets the point after. And uh, we are in a 7-7 tie Monday Night Football between the uh, Eagles and the Cowboys. We'll keep you updated on that one. Elks and Red Blacks tomorrow. Dave Campbell will have a preview in about half an hour. That game on Kiss and Country, 103.9, 4.30 for the countdown to kickoff. Game at 5.30. Here on 6.30, Chad, 5.30 faceoff show. Game is at 7 as your Edmonton Oilers take on the Seattle Kraken. Now we'll know the Oilers lineup 
in more uh, detail tomorrow morning, but we do expect uh, a lot of the Oilers more prominent players to play, including McDavid, Dreisaitl, Nugent Hopkins, Nurse, Barry, players like that. Uh, I would think they would be in the lineup after not playing in uh, in Calgary yesterday, and obviously the first time fans are going to be back in the building for the first time in a long time. Yeah, March 11th, 2020, the last time there was a crowd. Oil Kings are going to get going Friday, October 1st. We'll preview their season uh, a little bit later on on the show tonight, too. So there are some things to consider if you are uh, going to the game tomorrow. Obviously, it's uh, it's not totally business as usual. You, uh, you're you going to have a, a few things to consider. Do we have Gully now? Oh, we got him. Okay, perfect. Well, we'll get to we'll get to those uh, protocols for Rogers' place here later on in the show. But I'm pleased to welcome to Inside Sports assistant coach for Edmonton Oilers, Glenn Gulletson. Glenn, you're on with Reed. How are you doing, sir? Good, Reed. How are you? I'm doing very well. I appreciate you making time for me after I'm sure another uh, busy day at the rink. And and I know if you talk to a coach, uh, well, what are we? Six thirty-seven at night. Uh, there's probably still a few hours of work to do. So. So thanks yeah, a lot for checking yeah. in. <laughs> yeah, no, no, no problem. No problem at all. All right. Well, uh, let's get a, just a quick thought and put a cap on last night's game. 4 nothing. the final, 49-15, the shots on goal. I, I was joking in the first half hour of the show that I feel like I need a little button I can press that just automatically says, but it's only the preseason. Uh, having <laughs> said that, uh, winning always beats the alternative. Uh, what did you think of last night's game? Yeah, well, whenever... Whenever you have these young guys that are, uh, you know, trying to show well and trying to get some uh, traction in the league and get noticed uh, by our group, and uh, we just looked at how hard they played, and uh, we were real impressed with our group. I mean, uh, I think most of you guys saw Evan Bouchard was a was a real good player last night, and um, just I thought from every guy, we, we won a lot of battles. A lot of guys showed well, and, uh, you know, we played against a pretty good team in Calgary. All right, and back at it tomorrow against the Seattle Kraken. I was just speculating on the lineup that probably some of the uh, more veteran players coming in, but we'll find out for sure at the morning skate. Glenn, I I wanted to have you on to talk a little bit about the power play because I I asked Nugent Hopkins and Nurse some questions today. Uh, I made, uh, and you probably hate this when you hear media guys (laughs) making predictions, but I made the prediction before last season that you guys would get to 30% after being 29.5%. You were, you were darn close. You still got in, in the high 20s, and I, and I think you can hope to be up there again. First of all, tell me about the addition of Zach Hyman because we've seen when you have had time to practice the power play so far, he jumps right into that net front spot that was kind of chase on Neil primarily last year. Yeah, that's exactly where he, he's going to jump in for us. And, uh, you know, just that power play, it has some chemistry or, or you know, with the right shot and in front of the net. It just kind of works with our flow. And, uh, so Zach will, Zach will jump in there. You're also going to see Jesse Koya Harvey jump in there as well too. They're going to they're going to kind of go at it a little bit like James ne- like Neeler and, and Chaser did uh, for the last couple of years. So you're going to see a little mix of that. And, and I think you're, you know, I I can say this with with some certainty that you're you're probably going to see a little bit more of a second unit this year at times. And um, you know that that's by design. Uh, you know, talking with our top guys, we want to. We want to make sure that we're we're putting everything, uh, spreading everything out a little bit, and getting guys lots of touches on the puck. Okay, well, I, I I'm glad you brought that up because I think that uh, uh, I I would not be able to name the second unit for the past few seasons because the first unit often scored, or just didn't come off the ice. 
Um, when, when you say a second unit, dare I ask, will that be a five-man second unit or will that be a three-man second unit with 97 and 29 staying on the ice? No, it, you know, it, it, it'll be a five-man unit that we'll use at times, but you're certainly going to see, um, you know, get into that minute 15, minute and a half mark of our, of our top unit being out there. But, um, you know, just at different times of the game, obviously the score clock's going to dictate what we do a little bit. But at, at the end of the day, we, we, we feel that moving forward as a group, as, as 20 guys, that we're going to be better if, you know, there's some other players uh, on this team that are counted on to produce. And sometimes when you don't get those touches in, in, in prime offensive positions, you can squeeze a little bit through the rest of the year. So um, we want to make sure that we're getting everybody some touches. Uh, we will keep, you know, obviously the, those top guys uh, will, will be out there still for their minute, 15, minute and a half. And, but, but we're going to see a second unit from time to time, and we're going to see a little bit of a blend unit as well. Okay, so, you know, Tyson Berry obviously was uh, exceptional last year on the power play. Darnell Nurse played about a third of the time. And, and you mentioned Evan Bouchard as well. And everything from Dave Tippett to Ken Holland to, to Leon Dreisaitl talking about him a couple of days ago, everything about Evan Bouchard is positive. Everything is, you know, I think fairly high expectations. Tell me about using him on the power play and what dimension, you know, he might add I don't know if it's necessarily different than what Barry and Nurse have, but just how his dim- dimension will fit in back there on the point. Yeah, well, he's certainly going to be in on the second unit, and I think whenever you're bringing a young guy in that, that wants to be a, a, a full-time player and is going to be a full-time player in this league, you, you, you don't jam him into a power play that's ran, you know, 29% and, and, and say, okay, because it's too easy if uh, you go drive for, for, for 10, which, which can normally happen in a season that you're, you're pointing fingers. So you, you, you want to break him in, he's, uh, you know, a little gently. He has certainly has some attributes. He's really got a shot that he can he can score from distance. Uh, he's got great vision, great poise with the puck. Um, he's a right shot like Tyson. And one of the reasons that we use Doc is, um, uh, you know, Darnell on, on that unit is just because it gives it gives the power play a different flow and a different look when you use a lefty up top. So, um, for for the sake of not being too predictable every night, it's nice to put a lefty up there. It, it flows differently than a righty. It gives you some different options and. Uh, um, but we're certainly going to use Bush from time to time, and he's certainly going to be on that on that second unit. All right, Glenn Gulletson joining us tonight on Inside Sports, assistant coach for your Edmonton Oilers, looks after the power play unit, and that's the focus of our conversation tonight. Uh, as I mentioned, the Oilers' power play exceptional the last two seasons, 29.5% and 27.6%. Yamamoto as well, who was incredible in in 1920 needed one more point he would have been a point a game you know he's he's talked about last year that uh, he wasn't able to get the finish and he worked on his shot over the summer does he i mean he's not a big guy and i know he's probably you guys as well are sick of hearing that Um, does he go to the front of the net or is he one of the outside guys as you see him no, you know, we'll, we'll use Yamo primarily uh, in, in the middle of the box, so uh, in, in the middle of the uh, the umbrella. So he'll, he'll stay in the middle. And one thing Yamo does really well is he, he hunts loose pucks really well and he can get on things quickly, right? That, that quick little two, three meter speed. So, um, you know, usually the guy in the middle out of the umbrella, we, you know, we use Leon there quite a bit. And, um, 
there's there's a lot of high IQ that goes into that position. Some guys think it's just a bumper position, but you can see the points that Leon's put up o- over the past couple seasons there. And uh, Yamo's got that hockey IQ. He's quick on pucks. He can retrieve things. He's good at reading plays and where it's going to go. So that that's where he'll be primarily. But five on three, we may use Yamo like we did last year, uh, a little bit on the goal line and uh, in front of the net. Okay. You know, I, I host the overtime open line show after all your games with Rob Brown, who through the course of his career in junior in the NHL got to play on the power play and, and had some pretty good coaches uh, guiding him on the power play. And, and he often says the power play doesn't really start until the team with the power play takes a shot because then you get a rebound, a bounce, even if the shot is blocked, now the penalty killers have to start turning their backs and moving their feet to find the puck, and that can create a little bit of chaos. But you guys also have a a power play with exceptional passers, and sometimes they don't fire away till till they really have the, (laughs) the, the great angle to shoot. How do you sort of balance those two mentalities? Well, what we've done here... Over the last few seasons, is, is exactly what what Brownie is saying there. It it, it, it holds true. What, what's changed here, even in my time in the last eleven years in this league, is that um, you know everything used to work from you got to establish the point shot, to, and, and that's the way it was for a while. But our power play works on a little different premise. Um, the point shot certainly helps us. Tyson helped us a lot last year with some of his looks and the, and the shots from the point, but um, we aren't afraid to, sh- to shoot from the flanks. So um, when you've got players like we do, um, we don't want to run our power play and, and, and no disrespect to any defenseman out there. We're not going to run it when you've got Connor and Leon and Nuge up front. We're not going to run it from the back. We're, we're going to run it from the flanks. So that's really the, the one change that we made. And, and when, we, when we talk about running it from the flanks and the sides, we're, we're prepared to shoot from there. We want to create motion from there. And uh, with those shots coming from the top and the flanks, what happens is exactly what Brownie's saying to you. Is it, it creates road hockey conditions, makes the other team turn, scramble, try to force you. And then when you've got elite players, they're going to make plays. If they can retrieve the puck and get into a little road hockey game, they're going to make some creative little plays. And So that, that's really the gist of, of our power plays. We want to create motion up top um, and, uh, with a, and get our puck into our dynamic players' hands, shoot it, and then retrieve it and, and, and make some plays. I, I'm sure every team that plays the Oilers is saying, A, don't take penalties, and then B, is pouring over a video of your power play to try to figure it out. It, it, so, I mean, this is almost something I would, I would ask a football coach, like about you're good at running the ball. How often, though, do you still have to pass it? Do you yeah. coach wrinkles into the power play? Because now teams are trying to figure out ways to take away your tendencies and your strengths. What's that cat and mouse like? Yeah, you know, you know, um, one of the things that that we've done here is, and 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 I'll, I'll be honest with you, you know, the penalty kill is a little bit, the penalty kill itself is a little bit like math. It's very structured. You have to be in certain spots. You have to work together. You know, one of the things we talk about here is the the power play is a little bit like art. You got to let these guys be be artists. And um, so we just kind of give them the framework uh, of what we want to do, but. When you're dealing with those pre-scouts all the time, we don't want to be predictable. We don't. So we think we can eliminate some predictability by being in motion, and that's the one thing we do. We allow these guys to freelance. We we, we give them a, a structure. 
um, that's based on motion, and then we let them freelance from there. And, and when you have these type of gifted players, you, you want that so that you're not predictable and then other teams can prepare for you so well. So, you know, basically at the end of the day, it's a little bit of a theory here that we've used for the last three years is that we want to create that motion, which creates some uh, less predictability and allows our players to be creative. Yeah. Well, it's uh, it's been a joy to watch for the last few seasons. And again, I'm optimistic it's going to be uh, really good again. J- just a final thought on the week ahead here, Glenn. Well, I guess the week we're in the middle of five games in seven days. That really doesn't happen in the regular season. You got a bunch of players to uh, to draw from here to, to get them into the lineup. Will you guys, do you sort of have a projected lineup looking all the way ahead to Saturday's game in terms of how you want to manage some of these players or, or how far, far ahead do you sort of try to plan who's going to play in each preseason game? Yeah. Tip does a lot of that. And we, we have mock lineups right through, um, basically right through to the end. And obviously there's little tweaks depending on how some of the young guys play. Um, you know, Tip has conversations with, uh, and, you know, he's got lots of experience. He has conversations with, you know, your top guys, your regulars, how many games they want, how many, um, you know, games they need to, to be ready for the, for the first game. So we have that all uh, mapped out in pencil right till the end of these five, especially this five and seven. And obviously with injuries and certain things, there, there's some changes. But, uh, yeah, it, it's pretty cast in stone. Um, like this morning, we had a few changes just because we had some guys that, that showed very well in Calgary and they're going to get another game. So um, we have some room for flexibility, but this stuff is, is pretty mapped out. All right. Well, Glenn, I really appreciate you hopping on. Uh, I know you guys have tons to do this week, but I really appreciate the insight into the power play. It's, it's fascinating to talk about. We'll see you at the rink and all the best tomorrow night. Yeah, thanks a lot for having me, Reid. That is Glenn Gulletson checking in, assistant coach for your Edmonton Oilers and uh, the guy who is in charge of running the power play from a coaching perspective. So how about that? They're going to have a five-man second unit this year. They, they, they may only play the last 30 to 40 seconds of the power play if the uh, first unit hasn't scored, but there will be a five-man second unit, probably going to include Evan Bouchard, Pugliarvi, Yamamoto, likely to get some time as well. So some things to look forward to with the Oilers power play. We got to call a quick timeout. It's 6.50. It's Inside Sports on Chet. Thanks a lot for tuning in tonight. Good to have Glenn Gulletson, an Oilers assistant coach on Inside Sports. So uh, some bullet points from his chat about the Oilers power play. Of course, Hyman onto the first unit as the net front guy. Jesse Pugliarvi, when he's on the power play, will be net front. There will be a five-man second unit. The second unit won't be McDavid, Drysaddle, and Nugent Hopkins with a couple of guys who hop on the ice. There, there will be a five-man second unit, though you can expect the first unit to still play a minute 15, maybe even up to a minute 30. And Evan Bouchard, yes, indeed, will get some time at the point on the power play. High expectations for him this season. Uh, before Glenn jumped on there, we're talking about you going to the game tomorrow. Tim Shipton, Senior Vice President of Corporate Communications with Oilers Entertainment Group, tells you about getting into Rogers Place tomorrow night. Well, the biggest change, of course, the fans uh, will expect coming into the building is uh, mandatory proof 
of vaccination or uh, a negative COVID test within 72 hours. And so um, we're, we're really, you know, trying to get the message out, uh, Reed, that people have to, uh, you know, have to be prepared uh, coming to the building to have either um, uh, the electronic version, of course, that the government has released that shows proof of vaccination, or if people want to bring, uh, you know, bring the hard copy of, of their vaccination, uh, they can do that. Or, of course, the negative COVID test, as I said, within 72 hours. Um, uh, a mandatory mask uh, bylaw, of course, is in effect in the city of Edmonton. So uh, face coverings must also be worn at all times. Uh, other than uh, you know, if you're uh, if you're uh, eating a hot dog or, or having a Pepsi, so um, we expect that those you know it's going to take a little bit of time. You know, it's uh, lucky we do have the preseason for everybody to learn, uh, our staff included. But we felt that this was the best way: one, keep people safe, and two, quite frankly, read to get people back into the building. All right, and uh, we'll get another comment from Tim Shipton as well. He joined me on the Faceoff show last night about bringing uh, bags into Rogers Place. Basically, you, you, you can't, a um, couple of exceptions, but he'll outline that in a clip we'll get to in a bit as well. Still 7-7, Eagles and Cowboys, four minutes left in the first quarter, Monday night football. We have football tomorrow. The Elks visiting the Ottawa Red Blacks. It's going to be on Kissing Country, Kissin Country 103.9. What is up with the uh, COVID situation for the Elks? We did have a player going to protocol yesterday. Who's going to be playing quarterback? Are the Red Blacks capable of beating the Elks again? They can't beat anybody else. Dave Campbell with a preview in the next half hour. Thanks for tuning in tonight. Six thirty, Chad. Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins, weekdays at six on Six Thirty, Chad.